News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here, The Pete Callender Show. Thanks for listening. News Talk 1110, 99.3. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at the Show. And remember, get the podcast at WBT.com. John Schwepp is the Director of Policy at the American Principles Project. Not principles as in school principles, but principles as in ideas, right? Philosophy, ideology. And he's quoted in this piece at dailywire.com about the Florida Senate passing its bill that the leftists have called the don't say gay bill. And he says parents should not have to fear sending their kids to public school in America, but they do because woke ideologies have become obsessed with teaching kids as young as five that they can change their gender. This bill doesn't do anything that the left claims. Kids can talk about their families, even if they're LGBT. Classroom discussions can still take place about LGBT history. But this bill tries to provide boundaries, prevent unwanted indoctrination, and give parents more control over the upbringing of their kids. This is the backdrop upon which the mayor of Huntersville, Stacey Phillips, sent out a tweet over the weekend saying, if you're a kid living in a don't-say-gay state and feel like you don't have an adult to talk to, I got you. You're welcome to slide into my DMs to talk, direct messages, to talk, to share, to express yourself confidentially. It would be an honor to be your auntie by blessing. You are perfect just the way you are. Your auntie by blessing? So, like, I'm not your aunt by birth or by by relative, by kin or anything. So it's just by blessing. So I'm like your cool Auntie Stacy. Who's going to talk with you all about the sex and stuff? Yeah, no, you don't get to do that to my kid. And the fact that you thought that was acceptable means that you were blinded by your politics. That's That's what that means. You're blinded by politics. You saw the don't say gay cause to jump onto i'm wondering did she change her banner on her avatar on twitter before she deleted the account probably uh bill hello bill welcome to the program how are you hey i'm well i just wanted to say that i am a conservative christian i happen to be gay and i agree 100 percent with what you're saying i back the governor of florida i don't think it's, it is a quote-unquote, if you want to call it lifestyle, I don't call it a lifestyle. I just say this is the way I am. But mm-hmm. it, it should absolutely not be taught to children. I have three children. I was married for many years. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted my children to have been taught what gay sex is or or anything else that is not quote-unquote of the norm. And that this is way too young of an age. Why are people opposed to that? Because our society has lost all morality. And I, I, I just want you to know that there are quite a bit of very conservative Christian gay men and women out there that absolutely support you, support the governor, uh, support uh, Trump. And um, I, oh, I appreciate that. So, Bill, what? But and I don't because uh, I, I have I have gay friends and they all tend to be left of center, I will say. But, yeah. but and so that's I got to believe that's probably more the norm. But I do think that now that is going to shift because they're no longer able to be used as a as a group of people as a demographic block it's there isn't one or two issues that unites 
you know, everybody together like the gay marriage issue did. I said this at the time when the Supreme Court made that ruling. I said, there's a lot of money that's now going to go look somewhere else uh, to be spent because the amount of money that, like HRC was raising for sure. for that topic, where does that money go? Like this is an existential threat to certain organizations, which I think that's why we're now into the transgender argument. Right. Well, I, I think a lot of that money, to be honest, it goes to a a get-together gay club that like to have big parties, and it goes to line the, the pockets of the people that call themselves the executives or the directors of HRC. Mm-hmm. I don't support the HRC. Again, I am first and foremost a Christian. I, I wish I wasn't gay. I had to accept that about me later in life uh, because I was just going through too much you know, mentally that was not real healthy. So, And I know that, that God loves me, but I, I don't believe it is anything that should be taught to children. Right especially young children. Uh, acceptance is one thing, but to teach children about being gay is absolutely 100% morally wrong. And again, there are a lot of gay people that feel the way that I do and, uh, and so support the governor. How many, me, so. how, are, are you, do you have like a, is there like a book club for the, for the conservative? <laughs> no, it's a log cabin <laughs> Republicans, I guess, but um, no, but seriously, are you aware of a lot of other people that share your political views? Yes, there there are a lot of people online that uh, that share the same view. Uh, there are things on places, unfortunately, on Facebook right now, uh, and we just share posts and 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 speak in in forums like that. Unfortunately, I I, I was you know you get banned in Facebook for nothing. I, I was banned recently for saying that I thought that transgender people had a mental illness. I didn't say that. You know, I was against them. I, I do think it's a mental. Right. It is a mental illness, and I was banned for saying that as as, as hate speech because I'm uh, apparently, even as a gay man, I'm not allowed to have my own opinion. Well, it's like uh, I said earlier, postmodernism. You were a useful demographic before. You're not any longer, and so whoop, right under the bus, you got to go. Well, I, I've lost all my. I will say I've lost almost. I would have lost over ninety percent of my quote unquote gay friends before all of this this happened because I. Told him, I said, you know, I'm a Christian, and I, and I don't agree with this. And they were okay with that before, until this pendulum swung so far in the other direction. And then they were like, I just can't be your friend. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and so you and every time I talk about transgenderism, I always point out, and I just I think you did as well, because it's a complex and nuanced um, uh, topic. Um, right. And we're not coming at this from any kind of position of hatred towards people. I could not no. imagine what it must be like to believe that you are not who you are, right? I I cannot imagine that. There were people, there was a series of stories and research I had uh, gotten into a couple years ago on um, people who have just uh, other types of dysphoria, not gender dysphoria, but other kinds of dysphoria, one of whom, Eric Robert Rudolph, remember the bomber guy? Uh, His brother cut off his own arm. Do you remember that story? Cut off his own arm. There are people who blind themselves, cripple themselves, because their mind is telling them that they do not have the body that they actually have. I cannot imagine what that must be like. I really can't. Um, yeah. And that's and so I, I, I try to provide empathy for people who are going through that. But now if you're going to give me policy and then you're going to make everybody abide by certain rules that are tailored to that dysphoria, now I've got some pushback coming. Right. I, I, I totally agree. Now, I will tell you that as, a, as a, a gay, conservative gay person, I don't believe that gays should be given any special rights 
I just want to be treated as, a, as an, an average, normal American. I don't want special rights. I just want equal rights. And I think that's what most of us are about. And most of us are about that as Americans in general. You don't have to have a, a special tag on, your, on you in order to want to be treated as equal. So gay people shouldn't be treated, transgender people shouldn't be treated any different than anyone else. And that's not, as you said, we, we feel sorry for people that are different. It, it's, not, it's not easy to, to, to live in, in that body, I'm sure. But at the same time, you don't get to dictate to everyone else what policy will be and should be. Yeah. So, Bill, I appreciate the call, buddy. Thanks so much for making it. Thank you. All thank right, you. man. Take care. All righty. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. I've actually had this report for quite a while, sitting in the stack of stuff, and uh, just I know I've mentioned it, mentioned it a couple times postmodernism. So I figured, you know what? Let me just bring it out, take it out of the stack, and let's just burn it. This is media's misleading portrayal of the fight over critical race theory by Frederick M. Hess. It is a report out of the American Enterprise Institute. Here are the key points that it finds. Number one. This report examines how media covered the critical race theory debate in schooling through an analysis of all news articles published between September 2020 and August 2021. So for a full year, September through August, in four major newspapers and three major education press outlets. Number two, coverage largely ignored bedrock assumptions of CRT including its explicit rejection of rationality and objectivity. This was mentioned in fewer than 10% of articles. That's a critical point, number two. That was a critical point. That the people doing the coverage, I had a, I had a weeks-long Twitter fight with the moron that is employed at uh, the public radio station up in uh, Raleigh or Chapel Hill, I forget where, This idiot is trying to run me through a struggle session on Twitter. Don't you have privilege? Accept your privilege? Like, like, really, this is, you're a reporter? This is what you're doing? And you don't even have any idea what you're talking about. But they felt, this person, this guy felt qualified to be able to run me, or anybody else for that matter, through this kind of CRT training or diversity and equity inclusion training. Like, sorry, if I'm going to go ahead and uh, run through one of these ridiculous training sessions, I think um, I'm going to need a certificate or something so I get to plaster it on my front door. That's way the, that's what, yeah, so this way they don't slaughter my firstborn. I just smear the, okay. So number three, news accounts also rarely mentioned concerns about CRT-aligned practices, such as segregated race-based affinity spaces or the promotion of anti-racist racial stereotypes. Number four, instead, most coverage focused on whether schools should discuss racism and slavery, even though few, if any, critics have adopted that position. The result has been a misleading, slanted, and dismissive caricature of sober concerns. So this is connected to the the transgenderism issue and the larger LGBTQIA issue in schools. Part of it is meant to drive a wedge between parent and child. And I'm not saying, you know, all people that are engaged in the work 
all the teachers. I'm not saying hashtag not all teachers. I'm not saying not. I'm not saying it's everybody. But there is a percentage. I don't know how large it is, but there are people who use this to drive wedges because they see it as a societal benefit in the long run. What is the wedge? Well, think about it. The kid's going to school and he's learning all this stuff and the parent may not know anything about all of the stuff that the kid is learning. And so the kid comes home and says, hey, you know what? I am now one of the 83,000 genders. And uh, the parent's like, what are you talking about? That's insane. And what does the kid say? Probably a teenager. What does the kid say? You just don't understand me. And now you've got a nice wedge. And teenagers always looking for wedges between parent and child, right? They can use that, and then that can be that can be part of their personality going forward, their sense of self. They adopt this as a persona, they become this thing, and and, and look, I understand this is, you know, there are people who uh, that, let me say it this way. There are people who groom children for these types of roles. And I know it's uncomfortable to talk about that, and I know it's a dark side of a, of a larger community, but it is true. And parents are right to be worried if somebody is doing this to their kids. So the driving of the wedge between parent and child, the same thing is true with the critical race theory stuff. Kid comes home from school having, you know, gone through one of these privilege walks or something and starts, you know, popping off postmodernist claptrap to mom and dad. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we have a dirt floor. We're not, we're not privileged. Yes, we are. You know, whatever. Now you've driven a wedge. The destruction of the family unit is an anti-conservative end. Conservatives recognize as a first principle the value of the family above All in the society. That's the whole point. The society exists to protect the family. And so, yeah, they got a bit of a problem when the secular world that, you know, like fire is a useful servant but a fearful master, they get kind of worried when the secular entities of government come in and start driving wedges between parents and kids. And so that's what the Florida law is about. This is the connection with critical race theory. I'll get back to this AEI report on the misleading portrayal of the fight over critical race theory after the news. Talk 1110 and 93WBT. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. So, in theory, critical race theory is a narrow, scholarly approach to addressing legal, social, and economic arrangements. But in practice, it has come to serve as a shorthand label for an array of racially charged educational policies and practices or as the socialists call it, praxis. While the precise contours of CRT are far from clear, what's indisputable is that CRT-aligned advocates like Ibram X. Kendi and Nicole Hannah-Jones, they have risen to prominence as their assertions that the U.S. is systemically racist 
have gained traction in colleges and schools. This is the write-up by Frederick Hess at the American Enterprise Institute. He's sort of putting together first this uh, the definition so we all understand what exactly he's looking at in his examination of the way that the media covers and had covered during this one-year period the debate over critical race theory in schools. Kendi, Ibram X. Kendi, who I will remind you, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, spent, uh, forget, like $20,000, $40,000, I forget, something like tens of thousands of dollars to have Kendi zoom into a meeting and get interviewed by the former WCNC. And yeah, the, yeah, the Channel 36, uh, Sonia Gant, daughter of former Mayor Harvey Gant. And she got to, and she interviewed Ken, Ibram X. Kendi after all of the CMS leadership had spent a year reading his book. So, Kendi holds that every thought, every action, every policy is either racist or anti-racist. Robin D'Angelo, the author of the best-selling book, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism, and a popular speaker for colleges, foundations, and schools, similarly teaches white identity is inherently racist. That is a direct quote. Bettina Love, winner of the 2020 Society of Professors of Education Outstanding Book Award and co-founder of the Abolitionist Teaching Network, explains that, quote, active anti-racism is the most important step teachers can take and is not a teaching approach or method, but a way of life. It is a way of life. Glenn Singleton, the president of the Racial Sensitivity Training Provider, Courageous Conversation, he tells the New York Times Magazine that, quote, scientific linear thinking, as well as cause and effect, are hallmarks of whiteness. These concepts, that's that's their argument. Linear thinking, scientific thinking, cause and effect, that this is white thinking. This is a hallmark of whiteness. This is the key. It's postmodernism. If you take nothing else away from what I say today, all of this stuff, it's postmodernism. The destruction of the Western society by undermining the very institutions which are premised on rationality, objective truth, the search for those things. He goes on to say, contrary to the manner in which it has sometimes been depicted by media outlets, the clash is about much more than whether to teach about slavery. It's about beliefs and practices that adherents deem invaluable and critics see as invidious. This, it is a battle over the civilization. I mean, I'm not trying to be exaggerative here. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. But that is what the fight is about. I've recognized this for a very long time. So anyway, he looked at all news accounts addressing CRT published over a one-year period by four major newspapers, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and USA Today, as well as three influential education outlets, Education Week, The 74, and Chalk Beat. How often were concerns about CRT's intellectual foundations, like its skepticism of rationality and objectivity, How many times was that stuff mentioned in these reports? That's one of the questions he looked at. Another uh, point of analysis, how often were controversial CRT-aligned instructional practices mentioned? Number three, how often did stories about laws passed to limit CRT actually quote the language of the laws in question? 
And that's what we just went through with the don't say gay bill I was going over in the last hour. Is that they, they twist and contort what these bills are and what they say and what they don't say in order to advance a particular agenda at that given moment. And number four, what was mentioned. And so then he goes through, um, but, but, but I will go to the, let me go to the conclusion here because I, uh, this is my problem. I'm an over highlighter. I am. I highlight too much stuff. So I started trying to do multiple color highlighters for like, this is a material and this is B material. But then as I start going through it, I forget my system and I forget which one was A or B. So I end up having to just read all of it. And so anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a terrible system. I'm an over highlighter. I'm, I'm working on it though. Um, so I put these little tabs here, the conclusion, here we go. Um, the most salient arguments against critical race theory got almost no attention in news accounts. Consequently, it's no great surprise that observers might not understand why reasonable people could have reservations about CRT. The mainstream and education press have consistently downplayed serious and understandable concerns. They failed to clarify what the laws actually do and do not do, what they say and what they don't say. And the media reports gave the misleading impression that the debate is about parents objecting to teaching about slavery, something about which Americans largely agree that we should teach about slavery. That's usually the first time you got to, the first thing you got to argue. It's like in the vote uh, fraud argument where the first argument you have to overcome is that they'll say voter fraud doesn't exist. So that you got to argue that first. You got to show them that it does exist and you got to point to examples. And then they'll fall back to, well, it, it's not widespread. Right? And then you're like, okay, well, here's another example. Here's how big it could be, whatever. And like, oh, okay, well, it hasn't impacted any electoral outcomes. And then you show like a couple of close races, whatever. And then they just call you racist. Anyway, so it's like that. You got the you got to get through these first barriers. So the first barrier, the first argument in these critical race theories arguments is always what? Oh, that's not being taught. You don't even know what it is. Why don't you want to teach about history? These are the same arguments. And they and then after you get through like the third or fourth one of these same arguments, then they call you the racist and they pull the escape hatch and they're gone. It is difficult to believe that news reporters are seeking to cover the CRT debate in a fair-minded manner when so little coverage even acknowledged the most salient objections. And it goes without saying that merely mentioning such objections in no way guarantees fair-minded or even-handed coverage. All right, I'll wrap this up in a minute. Vaccine. I'm Congressman Dan Bishop. I'm sponsoring legislation to protect our troops from President Biden's vaccine mandate. Paid for by official funds. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Reading from this American Enterprise Institute research, media's misleading portrayal of the, uh, of the fight over critical race theory. It was written by Frederick Hess. And um, he examined several different issues, but it all focused on media coverage. For example, how often were controversial CRT-influenced practices mentioned in media reports? The push for anti-racist education may be the most prominent strain of CRT-aligned activity in K-12 schools. The introduction of race-based affinity groups in which schools separate students or staff by race to discuss charged topics 
A related practice is the use of exercises like privilege walks, which teach students or staff to regard various identities and circumstances like race and gender and appearance and sexual preference and the number of books in the home or whatever. But these are signals of unearned privilege and white supremacy culture. And then these practices are linked with calls for schools to actively reject notions of colorblindness. Robin D'Angelo, she of the white fragility and many homes that she has spent her uh, privileged money on. Yeah, that Robin D'Angelo, she had like three or four homes and didn't donate any of her money Till It Hurts, as she advised her white readers to do, give Till It Hurts to uh, uh, minority groups and community organizations, nonprofits and the like. And yeah, she wasn't doing that herself. Anyway, um, she teaches that seeing individuals rather than skin color is the mark of a dangerous white person. That's a quote, dangerous white person. The Joe Biden administration's Department of Education has recommended professional courses that hold... uh, that attempts to be colorblind create an unsafe environment for students. That's the that's the standard. If you are attempting to create a colorblind class or society, that that is an unsafe environment. Introducing all of this into schools seems destined to be controversial, yet for reasons difficult to fathom, these disputes seldom make it into news accounts. Well, I can... I don't know if it's difficult to fathom. I mean, number one, the individual reporter just could be a dumbass. Number two, um, maybe they're products of the indoctrination themselves, right? If they're young reporters, they may have just come through this indoctrination. Or maybe they are part of the indoctrination. Those Those are the explanations. How often did outlets report what critical race theory legislation actually says? I mean, you would think anybody arguing in good faith against a state law about CRT would argue based on what is actually in the law. I know. It's too much to ask. News articles about CRT and even those that discuss the laws have the odd habit of not quoting directly what CRT laws actually say. From the full sample of 91 news stories addressing critical race theory, six stories in the mainstream outlets, and 38 in the education press devoted at least half of their text to state CRT legislation. Of these 44 stories, half of them never directly quoted a single state law or legislative proposal. Only three of the six major newspaper stories quoted the law at all. What was mentioned? Well, if they weren't spending so much time on CRT's controversial worldview, the practices that have spurred backlash, or what state legislation actually says, then what was mentioned. Well, it turns out, much of the coverage focused on the assertion that schools should be addressing slavery, racism, and history. In other words, gaslighting us. They've been gaslighting us, lying to us in their coverage. Which is why I kept arguing with that idiot from the public radio station up in Chapel Hill. Two-thirds of the mainstream press news accounts and 50 out of the 57 education press accounts mentioned the history of race or how history is taught in schools. That's why I keep telling people, you've got to stop thinking of critical race theory as a lesson. It's not a lesson. It's not like a course. It's not, uh, hey, we're going to sit down and do this activity. It is a pedagogy. In other words, 
a method of teaching. It is imbued in everything. They, it is buried and it is part of the very uh, uh, foundations of the lessons themselves, of all the activities. It's all pushing in that direction. It is what the leftists, the socialists, the Marxists call praxis. It's a pedagogy. It's a method of teaching. Stories routinely asserted or implied that these kinds of issues are at the heart of the CRT debate, such as the New York Times report that the CRT debate is really about how the legacies of slavery and segregation and Jim Crow still create an uneven playing field for black people. The odd thing is that whether schools should teach about slavery, segregation, and Jim Crow may actually be the least controversial feature of the CRT debate. Indeed, polling shows that the lion's share of Americans agree that schools should teach about racism and slavery. It's one of the things, uh, there's a um, linguist out of uh, New York University, I believe, uh, John McWhorter, uh, brilliant guy, he's the author of several books, but he, he pushes back on a lot of this nonsense on CRT stuff, uh, and he is a liberal, self-described. So he's not some right-winger guy, but he is also black. But he pushes back on the CRT stuff, and he asks, I think, a pretty important and, and fair question, which is, how much do we really expect people to know about the Civil War, about Jim Crow era laws, about slavery, when they graduate high school? I mean, we as Americans, look, we don't even know geography, right? We, we don't know a lot of stuff. We, we really don't. Kids grow they can't balance checkbooks. They I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we don't that we are not teaching kids. How much do they need to know about Civil War slavery and these sorts of things when you look at the lack of knowledge in all sorts of other areas? Like how expert do we all have to be in every facet? This is the question that McWhorter asks. I think it's a fair question. Because is there anybody walking around that doesn't believe that there was slavery that occurred in America? I mean, I guess maybe there are some people. Maybe there's a couple of them. I've never met any of them. I'm not aware that of anybody that doesn't agree slavery existed and was bad. Every now and again over the years, I've encountered somebody who would make the argument, well, you know, they were treated pretty well. Yeah, they were slaves. Just stop right there. That's not a majority view.